First on film and entertainment, and the new year has started with a big splash, a huge musical, one that I suppose John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John forever will be associated with and known because we love them for it. We're talking about Grease the Musical. Now, gentlemen, Gregory King, Peter Krause, you must have seen the movie if you have not seen the stage play. Greg, yes? Yes, I've seen the movie. Yep. Not, not the stage play, and you too, Peter. Of course. Okay. Now... Okay, can you, is there any more notable association with a musical and with a, with a film than you can put to those two, Olivia Newton-John and, and John Travolta? I, I mean, it's kind of like one, one isn't made without the other and you can't imagine anybody else filling those roles. That, that's how associated I, I put the two of them. And it, it's sort of it's one of those things that was one of the big hits that that for both of them and it, it if you like in terms of the career of John Travolta it really catapulted it didn't it Peter? Well, yes, but what about the pairing of Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald? They were a famous musical partnership in films in the thirties in particular. Yeah, but most most people who uh, <laughs> dare I say it there'll be very few people who are listening to this who would be aware of, unless they're into film history, they may not even have heard of them. That wow. Doesn't... Well, uh, I think that's true. Greg, what what do you think about that? I mean, the problem is that if you if you tell somebody, well, do you know Neil Diamond and, and it's a Gen Z or whatever, they may never have heard of Neil Diamond. That doesn't mean that Neil Diamond didn't exist or doesn't exist. So I, I'm, I'm talking about within... You know, our rear shot. It's a. I mean, I know you were born in about sixteen thirty-three, Peter. Right. And therefore, you know, you can go way back. Um, were you born when Aristotle was first uh, on this planet, or not? Uh, oh, I have to ponder that hypothesis. Yes, exactly. Uh, and and actually, you would go back to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, wouldn't you? And and be beyond before that. Uh. Were you there when when Adam and Eve were eating the apple? I'm just... <laughs> they were rotten to the core. But, oh, 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 oh. I actually, you were probably the the the, the uh, little little gull that was sitting in the tree, watching what what was going on, observing. Yeah, you were you were reporting on it, observing. Were you, were you giving us your opinion on on whether everything was kosher? Absolutely, I was texting at the time. Well. It, <laughs> Yes, you were ahead of your time, clearly. <laughs> so, okay, so let's get back to Greece, the musical, and let's get back to Greece. In terms of modern times, somewhere in the last 3,000 years, can you think of anybody other than what you've just given us, or you, Greg King, for that matter, who are, are, are appearing more associated with a a movie musical? Hello? No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Excuse me. This is radio. Black space doesn't work on radio, Greg. Sorry. Um, yes, exactly. I was just thinking for Where? 1978 when Greece the music came out, um, Travolta was also in Saturday Night Fever, remember? Right, but that's the point that I'm making. That That's exactly what I said. Those, the, Greece, because I, I think, was Saturday Night Fever out first? I think it was. Probably. Yes, 77 it was. Yeah, exactly. So... This is what I said to you. This was the remark. Greg, are you listening? I am. I, I, I said this cemented his status because he'd already done Saturday Night Fever. These two movies are I associate very, very closely with one another. And Liv, I mean, what a 
what an absolutely gorgeous Australian. She she was such a contributor to this country, loved this country so much, and what, the sweetest of singing voices. And she was great in Greece. She was terrific. Did you like? Did you both like the movie? Oh yes. Yeah. Good. Especially Stockard Channing in in the the bad girl role. Oh, was wasn't she? Fantastic. She, I agree. But I mean, if you if you want a role in a movie, I would have think I would have thought that Rizzo is about as good as it gets because you yeah. if you want to play bad good, <laughs> that's the sort of that, well, don't you think it's it's yeah, it's, it's written beautifully and you can you can really milk a role like that. And this is why some actors actually go for bad bad boy roles, right? Where where you can really make a splash is it. As it, and and you think about the James Bond villains, that they're often in in movies they they're often lauded for their their, their evil intent. You know, it's uh, it's not a bad way to go, and and you're getting well paid for being 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 nasty. You know, it's uh, it's an interesting one. So okay, let me get on to Grease the musical, which is on at Her Majesty's Theatre. Uh, did you both know uh, this is a, a sort of a fact that. It opened as a musical in on Broadway in only three months before it opened in Melbourne, which is really unusual because when you have musicals in this country today, you often have to wait many, many years, if not a decade or more, before somebody is willing to take a risk. Well, Harry M. Miller produced the first stage musical of Greece outside America, and that was Melbourne in 1972. So there you go. So here we go. If you think about it, 1972, this is 51, 52 years later, right, that that we've now got uh, it back at Her Majesty's Theatre. So senior high school in the United States, late 1950s, in fact, 1959, it's re-energised. It's a colourful new production at Her Maj, and it's set in the fictional Riddell High School. Uh, okay, Greg, you're a champion of trivia. Do you know what Riddell High was named after or who it was named after? Well... Probably not Mark Riddell. No. Think about pop singers. Uh, you, you'd know this having been born in the, in the 17th century, uh, Peter. Do you mean Bobby Rydell? Very good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Take a bow. You can take a, a little uh, one of those lollipops as a result of all of this. Yeah. So it's named after Bobby Rydell, yeah, fictional Rydell High School. And I think, just trying to remember where... Do you, do you remember which state of America Greece was set? Do you, was it Chicago? Oh, uh, can't, good can't, question, yeah. Um, maybe one of you can Google it while we're talking. Anyway, we're talking about Rydell High or Riddell High. That's where the Australian blonde beauty Sandy Dombrowski unexpectedly bumps into her summer love, the two cool for school leather jacketed Daddy Zuko. Actually, Sandy was destined to attend another institution, another school, but she switched, not realising Danny also attends Riddell High. His sweet nature when they were just when there were just the two of them, before they met up again at school, gives way to arrogant bravado in front of his mates. Sandy is understandably put out trying to work out why Daddy's being so mean. And in fact, several times he missteps, much to Sandy's chagrin, although I can't quite figure this out. Despite her angst, she's forgiving. Now, in this day and age, Peter, you wouldn't be forgiving. You'd basically send the guy on his way, wouldn't you? Sure. <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, I genuinely... That, it's funny watching this as a musical today. 
That was my actual thought. Why would you give the bastard another go, right? He's dissed you. He's dissed you not more than, not once, twice, several times, and she keeps coming back for more. No, 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 no. That's not what we're taught today, right? Um, if my daughter was treated that shamefully, I'd, I'd tell the, you know, tell her to tell the bloke to take a, a long jump off a short pier. So then you wouldn't have the grease the musical. Mm. I, I mean, I, I'm kind of, it, it's a valid point insofar as certain things date. And I'm wondering whether, I know it's a, you know, lighthearted something, mind you, underneath that there's some serious topics, which I'll talk about in a few moments, but uh, I, it sort of troubled me somewhat because it's it's no longer, you know, politic to 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 do it this way. So that doesn't mean it can't be, you know, you can't have fun with it. But I think there are reservations, or I, I had those reservations. Uh, Pete, uh, Greg, can you understand that? Sort uh, of. Yeah, and by the way, it is Chicago. It is Chicago. There you go. See. So I, I get a lollipop now. That's very good. Thank you. Uh, so, okay, well, g getting back to the um, the missteps, at the same time, Sandy's goody-two-shoes persona rubs this cynical tough girl Rizzo up the wrong way, and Rizzo heads up a clique known as the Pink Ladies, and she's got a love-hate relationship with one of Daddy's boys. I think they're known as the T-Birds, whose name is Kaniki, K-E-N-I-C-K-I-E. I haven't heard Kaneki at any other stage in my life other than in Greece. Is Kaneki a name? Not that I'm aware of. Right, so it's a made-up name, or could be. Yeah, it could be. These days, anything could be made up. Okay, so Greece follows 10 American working-class teenagers as they navigate the complexities of relationships. And, okay, so I've said it's light and fluffy, but it does touch on serious issues. You've got rebellion, you've got gang violence, you've got um, friendship love, teen pregnancy. I was thinking gang violence. Uh, I mean, one of the most popular musicals of all time is West Side Story, which of course deals with gang violence as well. But anyway, the book, the music, the lyrics of Grease the Musical are by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. And there are additional songs by Barry Gibb, no less, and John Farrar, Louis St. Louis and Scott Simon. Look, the, the music's great. The, the toe-tapping tunes continue to resonate and I really like the big chorus numbers. Grease is the word, summer nights, grease lightning, songs like that really go down a treat. And there are showstoppers in the finale, which that it, it, it finishes on a real high because you've got a series of vignettes, if you like, that are spliced together and the crowd goes, goes bonkers. It's wonderful. Annalise Hall, she plays the sweet-voiced Sandy. Joseph Spanty brings swagger to Danny. And this is the sort of new generation. Now, look, they're, they're, they're good fun, but I'm afraid I, I can't see... I, I'm I'm blinkered here. I can't see past the the two that I mentioned at the outset because, you know, we love our live and, and John Travolta's terrific. So having said that, Annalise and Joseph um, yeah, bring a new, new proclivity to Sandy and Danny. Mackenzie Dunn, wow, she's terrific as Rizzo. She really is a scene stealer. She brings attitude. She brings sass. And Keanu Gonzalez is very slick as Kaniki. Uh, and as good as all of these people are, now, I don't think that there is a, and I'm, I'm not sure how old she is, but she'd, she'd be 70. She'd have to be 70. Marsha Hines. Is there a, and, and 
okay, call me sexist. Is there a better voice? Is there a better looking 70 year old than Marsha Hines? She looks magnificent. She sings absolutely phenomenally. She just steals everything as Teen Angel. Now, only two songs, but the the best two songs, and they dress her in magnificent white with um she's got the angel wings and there's a if you like a a sort of a a plate around her midriff i think it's silver she looks a million bucks i mean really really sensational flawless she continues to excite and excel and on top of that you've got the ageless patty newton and she really has fun she's lively she's really appealing as teacher miss lynch so you've got two of the best known performers in Grease the Musical. Really large set, which rotates, and it rotates too frequently. You, you could overdo something, and I reckon they, they kept on, it kept on turning, right? And it, it's based around sports ground bleacher seating. You know what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Yeah, and so that's fine, but it doesn't have to keep turning. I mean, it, it can turn three or four times, not ten times you know that that's it just bothered me after a while but the the um there's a to die for period red sports car which is used as a prop with red and it's got black wheels bit of white we'll we'll ignore that i call it my essendon car peter right gregory you'd call it ace and kill the car but it is fantastic looks brilliant okay costuming the wigs they take us back to the era. The set, the costuming, and the wig designer by James Brown, with an E on the end of it, Brown. The rousing dance routines, they're the work of the choreographer, whose name is Eric Giancola, and the resident choreographer, Madeline McKenzie. The lighting designed by Trudy Dalgleish is fabulous. It's vibrant. It's dynamic. Good on you, Trudy Dalgleish. So too, the big sound. Sound design is by Michael Waters which especially suits the ensemble pieces. And Dave Skelton is the musical director with an 11-piece band. So here we are, 52 years later, still smiling, clapping, singing along, having great time, having fun. That's even though I would have advised Sandy to have given Danny the heave-ho um, as soon as he mistreated her. Direction by Luke Joslin, resident direction, Rudy Dunn. It runs for two hours, including a 20-minute interval. It's playing at Her Majesty's Theatre until the 10th of March. It is Greece. So as far as I'm concerned, Greece is still the word, Gregory. Or do you do the dad jokes? Uh, yeah, you're the one that I want, Alex. <laughs> Gregory, I've always known that. Secret feelings. This is what you're expressing to the world. Is that right, Greg? Something like that. Yeah, all right. So that's Greece the Musical. Let We've got lots of movies that uh, we, we can get to. All of these, uh, we'll, we'll get to as many as we can on J88FM. If you want to subscribe, 50, is it 52 or 54 bucks? I get that confused, but there you go. Go to j-air.com.au and we'll tell you all about it. Great programming, 24 hours a day. Lots of good music, but also hopefully intelligent programming. Now, what I wanted to start with was, I mean, as, a, as an actor, if you think about what he's done over a long period of time, You'd have to say that he's he's stood the test of time. Some people like him, other people don't. I'm talking about Nicolas Cage. Are you a fan or not, Peter, as as an actor? 
Uh, it's more about the film. He, he's not bad. He can be over the top many times. Mm. What about you, Greg? Oh, look, I like some of the films he's done. Um, he's had very, very many um, sort of career changes, you know, from the action hero of the 90s to, to the offbeat comedies and all that kind of stuff. Some films are a bit off hit and miss, so I think sometimes with his choices. Well, I, I think Dream Scenario, which is the movie we're going to talk about, suits him. It's MA rated. It's 102 minutes. It, it's intriguing and, and bizarre. Uh, I mean, he plays this nondescript tenured professor who becomes an overnight viral sensation, as you would in this day and age. Uh, he, he plays a balding, bespectacled, evolutionary biology lecturer by the name of Paul Matthews. And he's passionate about his chosen area. Paul Matthews, but he struggles to attract the same interest from his students. He resents the fact that a former classmate has muscled in on a theory he propagated, and now she's about to be published in prestigious Nature magazine, because Matthews always thought he had a book in him, but hasn't started writing it. He's married to Janet, played by Julianne Nicholson, and the pair has two school-age daughters, Hannah, played by Jessica Clement, or Clement, and Greta, star Slade. Suddenly, though, Matthews, this rather nondescript professor, starts appearing in regular dreams had by his students, colleagues and associates, even a former girlfriend. And in these dreams, the dreamers are inevitably seen in rather invidious circumstances. Matthews walks into frame but fails to help them. You know, they're in trouble, but he does nothing. Word of this bizarre happening, the dreams, spreads rapidly, and even more see him in their dreams. Suddenly, his classes are filled with inquisitive students, and he finds global fame. Seemingly, everyone wants to see him, meet him, and know him. Even his wife's boss gives her a leg up, while her younger daughter wants him to drive her to school all of a sudden. Nobody, least of him, least of all him, can explain how or why he appears so frequently in others' subconsciouses. That that matters naught, though, because a new age marketing agency is looking to cash in. And then the script flips. Hmm, it certainly does. And Matthew's newly found picture-perfect life goes into free fall. So, okay, what do I make of all of this? Well, I was totally captivated by the first half of Dream Scenario. I wish the loopy premise could somehow be true. I appreciated that an otherwise grounded everyday man could find himself in the limelight. The writer and director, Christopher Borgley, has done well establishing Matthew's family and workday dynamic. And Nick Cage and Julianne Nicholson are credible and compelling as husband and wife, replete with insecurities. The opening scene which propels the narrative, I found eye-catching. So, so far, so good. Then we move to the dark side. Now, though I, I can buy into it, even applaud the twist, the filmmaker takes a dive off the 10-metre platform and does not quite land the entry point. Uh, in other words, I felt that he pushed and pushed and pushed in endeavour to score big, and as a result, the film compromised some of the credibility it had established. That's not to say The Run Home didn't have its moments. It did. But... In fact, there are still a no there are a number of memorable scenes, only that some of the traction was lost as what I would call the previously well measured time frame was hastened 
Nevertheless, this darkly comedic psychological horror film retains plenty of bite, and I reckon it's well worth a look. What do you think, Greg? Oh, look, it's an interesting take on um, our obsession with celebrity, on social media, the impact that has, and also what happens when our 15 minutes of fame are up. But I thought um, Nicolas Cage gave one of his better performances here, but it does turn typically unhinged as the longer film goes on there, Hmm. Um, especially when he tries to capitalise on his newfound fame and the dreams turn nastier there, um, and he has more of a malevolent presence there. Um, And the way he's sort of dressed here, you know, it's very unlike Nicolas Cage yet. The receding hairline, the slouched posture, the shabby dress, um, all that kind of stuff. But I admire that, Greg. I think it's fantastic that he's taken on something a bit different. And he, yeah, yeah. Um, I, as I said, I liked it, but it's different from what we normally see yeah. um, him as. Um, but, yeah, it's a dark comedy. I, like you, Alice, I thought, look, I didn't land the ending there. It was an interesting premise. Didn't, it had a lot of unexpected turns, um, but um, we're never sure where it's happening. But I don't think the, um, the director sustained the intensity for the duration in film. And I thought it fell away in the third act a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, okay. So w- w- I-, I hesitate to ask, Peter, what <laughs> did you, okay, I'll gently, gently broach this. Do you think it fell away? Do you think that the first half was better than the second? Look, uh, yes, to some extent that's oh, thank true. You. Right. The, the premise of the film is an interesting one, especially the idea of infiltrating dreams and the consequences of that. Uh, I mean, when you think of uh, films like uh, Being John Malkovich, which mm-hmm. uh, which does that, I think, really well, and Michel Gondry, who's so good in his films like Signs of Sleep, where the whole notion of uh, dreams and uh, manipulating and manoeuvring uh, dreams in uh, in certain ways has more resonance. This film starts off with a, a reasonable premise, and Nicolas Cage is quite good in the role. But I, I just f- found it fell away because it, it tried to be too mundane and too predictable by the end. And, yeah, I was a little disappointed by it. I thought it was going to be much better than yeah, it turned out to be. Yeah, but when you say you thought it was going to be much better, based on the first half being pretty good, that that uh, that's, that I presume that's what you're saying, you didn't go into the cinema knowing necessarily what it was about. But once you saw the first half, you thought that, oh, God, it's it, it, oh good, it started off rather well. Let's hope it can nail the ending, but it doesn't. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much so, yes. Exactly yeah. right. It started well and then sort of petered out. Yeah, so, I mean, basically all of us have got similar opinion and, and it's such a shame. Because, and, and this gets, again, in my opinion, it gets back to the writing. Uh, okay, direction here, you've got the same writer and director. But if, if if it was written better, it could have been played better because Nicolas Cage showed us that he's quite capable of doing something out of the ordinary and 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 landing the role and nailing the role. So it wasn't Nicolas Cage's fault, was it, Peter? No, no, it's always about the script. Yes, exactly. All right, well, I, I mean, I'm still going to rate it rather highly because I like the first, you know, until he turned to the dark side. So... I think, Peter, you'll give it the low score. So what, what is it for Dream Scenario, rated M, out of two minutes? Okay. Look, it's not bad. I give it six out of ten. Okay. Greg? Same for me as well. Yeah, I'm much higher because I, would, I, I, I thought this was going to be a really good film. 
So I'm giving it a seven and a half because I'm still I, I'm excuse I'm not excusing it, but I'm saying I was it was heading towards the eight and a half to nine territory for me until it fell away, uh, and that's why I marked it down. Okay, well, from Nicolas Cage to I mean, New Zealanders make decent films, and we've known that for quite some time. And I reckon they've been, if you like, more consistent. This is a generalisation, more consistent than Australians have in terms of the ups and downs. Now we make more movies here, Peter, than they do in New Zealand. But what what do you think about that as a gross generalisation? Do you think over the I'm talking about over the distance? Do you think New Zealand has been more consistent in its movie making? Or is it just that we see the better ones here? Uh, Look, yes, you're right. They don't produce as many films, but the films that they do produce have very good scripts attached to them. So overall, their strike rate uh, of quality films is much higher. Yeah. And would you agree with that, Greg? Yeah, I agree. They seem seem to punch above their weight with uh, um, films that they produce, although there's probably few that they produce that we don't get to see here. But on the whole, the quality of what we see here is certainly superb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about next goal wins, which is M-rated in 104 minutes. I'll start with a fact. In the 2001 World Cup qualifiers, and you saw this film, and this shows me, Peter, that deep down in your subconscious, you are a sports lover. Is that true? No. <laughs> um, no, let me try that again. Peter, you saw next goal wins. This is a movie about the round ball game, which the best of my knowledge is a sport. Is that correct? Yes, but I I yes, talk no, about no, no, the no, no. film. Ipso facto, <laughs> if they make a movie about Australian rules football, yeah, and it's released in the cinemas, you will go and see it. Well, of course, because I see all films. Correct. So, um, I reckon that I need there, there needs to be a survey. No, there needs to be a push to make more sporting movies to get you more into sport. It'd work, wouldn't it? No, you'd, ga- you'd gain great insights, Peter. Into what? Into <laughs> what makes sport great. All right. So, now, in the 2001 World Cup qualifiers, Australia handed out the worst drubbing in the history of international soccer. Did you know that before entering the cinema, Peter? Yes, because I've seen the documentary that this film is based on. Fantastic. Okay. Who was it to? American Samoa. And the, re- the result itself, 31-0. Hmm. You would call that a rout in anybody's language. So things for the island nation really didn't improve thereafter either. And a decade later, American Samoa was still a laughing stock of world football. So next goal wins is the story of what happened thereafter, told as a comedy. The first up, the president of the American Samoan Football Federation sacks the coach. Then he engages the services of a bad-tempered front man who's been sacked from three similar roles. And among those that axed him from his most recent position was his ex-wife, who's now taken up with a number, another member of the selection committee that sacked him. What he is confronted with, he being the sacked coach, when he lands reluctantly on the island, is a basket case of a football side. Now, playing hardball, which is what he's used to, doesn't work. Did you like that, Greg, as a dad, dad joke? Uh, nah, it didn't work. Excuse me, I think it worked. Playing hardball, it worked beautifully, didn't it, Peter? 
Oh, next goal, losers. Oh, thank yeah. you. Now, among the team members that this new coach has to deal with are a goalie who trips over his own feet and a forward who doesn't seem to know where the goals are. And that's not to overlook a sensitive player who is transitioning. Now, all the president of the American Samoa Football Federation is looking for is a single goal, which would be an international first for American Samoa. Getting it, though, will be anything but straightforward. It will certainly test the new coach's staying power more than once. Taika Watiti has crafted a small feel-good movie, which is heartfelt, it's funny, it's entertaining. He wrote Next Goal Wins with Ian Morris, and he directs the film. And it presents the American Samoas as salt of the earth, happy people who don't take life too seriously. In fact, the picture particularly plays up that trait. And as much as the president wants to break the team's perennial duck, he's more interested in the camaraderie that comes with being a member of the team. I thought several of the side gags were, were laugh aloud funny. It's the characters that make the piece, and there are no shortage of those. Hard to go past Oscar Knightley as the... Uh, is it Knightley or Kitely? Kitely, I think. Kitely, yep. Yeah, Kitely rather than Knightley. As the good-natured president to Vita. And he plays his character as intent on retaining the essence of what it is to be an American Samoan. Nothing seems to faze him, and he, he likes it that way. Michael Fassbender plays the imported coach Thomas Rongan. He plays it like a fish out of water, that he is. And Rongan gets angry and belligerent, but he comes to learn that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Fassbender really does have, have a lot of fun with the role, and he leans into it. Kaimana brings sensitivity to her role as transitioning footballer Jaya. And you've got a ridiculously over-the-top, handlebar mustachioed Taika Watiti narrating for maximum comic impact, and he plays the role of a priest. And look, I reckon Next Goal Wins is simply joyful and buoyant, and it's truth-telling with a decidedly humorous bent. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, Greg, it scores. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, Joe, you like that? No? Okay. Yeah. No? Yeah. Got to keep it right. going, Lee. Uh, we can keep it going if you like. You can keep it going. I, I like this one. Did you like Next Goal Wins? I didn't mind it. I, I, I unlike you, I didn't like that take a weeky um, bookend shit bit of bookend of the film. I just thought that was cringeworthy. Sorry, but um, it's a good, nice underdog sporting story there. Um, I like some of the characters there. Nice. I thought genial, um, Oscar Kleitley was had a genial, likeable presence there as the um, head of the um, Samoa Football Federation. Um, Michael Fassbender doesn't normally do comedy there. He's got a much more of an intense persona there, but he reigns it in a little bit here, and I think he has um, a good good role here um, with his volatile temperament and issues. But we learn a little about the character and why he is like he is, which sort of softens him a bit and gives, makes him a bit more sympathetic. And I like the subplot of the um, transitioning athlete there, um, Gianna Salula. Um, she she was a really good character, I thought, and could have been developed even more because uh, her journey is important as well um, and almost a serving of its own film there. Um, and we know that Wachiti injected an irreverent touch into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with um, Thor Ragnarok there. And he's got a light touch here, which is perfect for this film. Um, take some liberties with the fact of dramatic effect there. And I like the way it gently pokes fun at this sleepy Samoan culture 
and the people there, you know, that um, without being nasty about it. And so I thought it was quite good. And the fact that it was shot, you get shot on location in Hawaii, I thought it looked good there. Um, cinematographer Lachlan Milne did a good job there. Um, there's plenty of training montages, team building exercises, all building towards an uplifting conclusion there. And I thought it worked for the most part, but as I said, as an enjoyable crowd pleaser, tried and true formula, we've seen it all before, but I didn't like that bit about Watiti um, and that unnecessary appearance that bookends the film. That yeah. let me let it down. When that came on, I just cringed. Uh, uh, Peter, do you reckon it gets into the back of the net? Not quite. I was actually quite disappointed by this film. I, really? I remembered... Don't you have a funny bone? Uh, yes, but I, I've buried it at the moment. Yes, um, yeah. you're, 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 you're already starting the year being being a, a recalcitrant. Yes, go on. What didn't you like about Excel wins, Peter? Uh, first minute, second minute, third minute, fourth oh, minute. Okay. Oh, anyway. anyway that's that's a... Four minutes. Are we going to go through the entire... Alphabet, do you, do you want me to t- test you on your times table, do you? Oh, thank you very much. Yes, you're multiplying my comments. All right. Now, uh, I, I remembered the, vividly the original documentary, which was so, so much more interesting and the, the cultural story and the coach. Yes, a lot and of people ha- haven't seen the documentary. Judge this as a film on its own. Based on my view that the documentary was far superior, this one was disappointing. Taika Waititi is good at unusual and different and acerbic comedy at times. I mean, Jojo Rabbit, I thought, was uh, an excellent film and it did that so well in a difficult sort of uh, uh, situation. This one, I think, tends to me to to be somewhat patronising. Uh, didn't treat the American Samoan uh, people particularly well, uh, more as as laughing stock. I think the transitioning character, who should have been more prominent in the film, uh, she was so good, but yet was treated more as a as a object of fun rather than of uh, being an integrated part of the team. There were just too many aspects. I mean, even uh, Michael Fassbender as the coach didn't work for me at all. Someone like Christoph Waltz or someone else with a European background um, that would have that sort of grit and perhaps would start to uh, uh, get more uh, in tune with the team as the story develops might have been a better choice. I don't think Fassbender at all fitted in well. Uh, and Elizabeth Moss, um, as his ex-wife or his wife and uh, and so on, was treated very badly in the film. She She's pretty much dismissed. Uh, in a role where she's sort of there as a as a way to make him look good. I, look, there's just too much I didn't I, I like think, in this I film. Think you're taking it too seriously. I I I think, in fact, it's funny because it, in a sense, if you you've got a sense of humour and you appreciate it from a sensitive point of view, I think it paints the American Samoans as being beautiful people. It's interesting. I I, I totally took it a different way. And again, yeah. if if you hadn't seen the doco. Do you think you would have been as harsh? Probably, I would have because I still think that the the treatment of the of the Samoan American Samoan culture was very patronising. But it'd be, it'd be very interesting to see what they actually th- uh, you know to speak to a number of American Samoans and think what they made made a movie because I I'd be yeah. surprised if they 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 don't don't see it the way you've just described it. Anyway, I mean it's, I understand what what you've said. Um, it's very difficult because humour is. Is in the eyes of the beholder, isn't it? And 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 humour can be very offensive. 
Yes, there's a much funnier, better, cleverer film on that has great humour. Which is? The Holdovers. Yes, which we, we are hopefully going to get to. Uh, if not this week, then next week. So, okay, uh, you're going to lowball this as well then, Peter. Next goal wins M104 minutes. Your score? Uh, I can barely give it 5 out of 10. Wow. Greg? I gave it 6 to 6.5 out of 10. And I gave it 7.5 again. See, I'm a generous reviewer. What can I say? Is that right? Uh, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, get over yourselves, boys. This is fun. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that, 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 let on Jair, 88 FM, we're talking recalcitrant others and me. Uh, that, that's it. Um, where I, I want to move into... Greg, I, I talked to you about my dream car in Greece, right? The Essendon car. Yeah. My real dream car, my real dream Essendon car goes vroom vroom and it's a red Ferrari with jet black wheels. Magnificent. If ever I, I got to be a multi-billionaire, which won't happen, uh, a Ferrari, a drop top Ferrari is top of the list, Greg. Is that all right? Well, everyone, boys in their toys. Oh, um, Midlife crisis speaking here, Alex. Pardon me? Midlife crisis approaching. Well, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 no, no, it's funny. Uh, okay, I've got to tell you this tale, Gregory. Sit back, right? Sit back and relax. Is your head, is your head on the pillow? And you too, Peter, <laughs> Mr. Recalcitrant. Uh, when I, this was, I'm just trying to remember how long ago. We're talking about, more than 20 years ago now, I, in fact, it was the year 2000, I needed to buy a new car. And I have no idea, have you ever done this? I basically, uh, for some reason, I'd never even contemplated this. And I walked into a dealership and I'm not sure what pro provoked me to walk into the dealership. And I saw a red Alfa Romeo Spider with black wheels, and I basically bought the car on the spot. And I never had any intentions of buying that car at all, and I just happened to see it and walked in and bought it. So, yeah, those things happen. I can't do that with a Ferrari. It's a bit bit, bit pricey, I'm afraid. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. So I've always appreciated red cars, and I, I don't know whether it is my Essendon sort of bent, but I think it probably is. So... You know, a drop-top Ferrari, Greg. I I think you'd 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 be struggling to buy one for under six or seven hundred thousand dollars, right? And you, you can buy Ferraris at more than a million dollars. So, do you want to lend me the money? Uh, no, I was hoping you'd be able to lend me the money, so I can loan it to you. Thank you very much indeed. Well, look, the power, the glory, the horrors associated with one of the world's most prestigious marks in Ferrari is on show in this movie which is 146 minutes in length and is M-rated. And the primary focus is on its controlling founder, whose name is Enzo Ferrari. And he was born in Moderna in Italy on the 20th of February, 1898. You were just a spring chicken then, weren't you, Peter? No, 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 you're an old man because you were born in the 17th century. So you'd remember Enzo, was he your personal friend, was he? Oh, look, I, I met him in my uh, Corolla and we had a great time. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, uh, he was having trouble with his business at that time. So maybe he he would have uh, sort of wanted to thumb a lift with you. Anyway, 
Enzo would go on to become a racing car driver and he retired at the age of 33. He and his wife, Laura, started the Ferrari motor racing team in 1947. And the film picks up his story 10 years later. He was known as a womanizer. And as a result, Enzo and Laura, his wife, have a volatile relationship. Now, she controls the books with an eagle eye. And unfortunately, Ferrari, the business, is leaking money. On the personal front, the pair, Enzo and Laura, are barely on speaking terms. They continue to grieve the death of their son, Alfredo, known as Dino, who was born in 1932 and died of muscular dystrophy in 1956. So he's but a young man, unfortunately. Enzo has a long-standing secret mistress whose name is Lena Lardi, whom he met during the war and with whom he had a son called Piero in 1945. Piero is a bright child whom his mother would like to carry the Ferrari name. But the situation surrounding Enzo's wife makes that far from a straightforward proposition. On the racing front, Ferrari's only way out of its financial quagmire is to win races. Among them, the 1957 Mille Miglia, where the real threat comes from Maserati. And bear in mind, this is an era in which death among the motor racing fraternity is not uncommon. Enzo himself still mourns the deaths of two compatriots 25 years earlier. Still, Ferrari paints Enzo as a driven, Greg, dad joke, pragmatist, a driven pragmatist, yes? Yeah, I'm ignoring it, Alex. Ah. Oh. With a, you haven't revved me up enough yet. Thank you very much. With a win-at-all-costs mentality. Now, his life is a constant juggle to try to stay on top of the unravelling threads. So, Ferrari the movie, powerful at times, horrific portrait of the race to be the fastest and to stay afloat. Adam Driver impresses with the largely humorless but dominant portrayal of Enzo, man on a perpetual tightrope, and he continues to walk tall throughout, does Adam Driver. Penelope Cruz, well, she's a force of nature as his wife, a woman not to be taken lightly. Cruz is, well, positively ferocious as Laura. Shailene Woodley displays the patience of Job as his mistress, Lena, intent on looking out for their son. The movie was written by Troy Kennedy Martin, who was responsible for the Italian job, the, the film, based on the book Enzo Ferrari, The Man, The Cars, The Races, The Machine, by Brock Yates. Michael Mann, who executive produced Ford versus Ferrari in 2019, steps behind the camera as the director on this one. And let's face it, he's used to bringing heat. Thank you very much, Greg. Another joke, you like that? Mm, uh, I'm ignoring you again, still. What, what do I have to do? Uh, he, uh, anyway, he, he's used to bringing heat, and, and there's an intensity about Ferrari as a movie too. He man adroitly balances the Ferrari business with the complexities of Enzo's personal relationships. As a result, Ferrari, the movie, leaves an indelible imprint. Did you, and this is again a movie about racing, Peter. I mean, this is sporting. You clearly love your sport, don't you, my friend? Oh, non-stop. Yes, absolutely. Yes, get the flags out. Plenty, right? I mean... (laughs) There's a cricket movie coming up. Will you be seeing it? Yes, you'll say. Peter, you are a closet sports lover. 
Did you like Ferrari? Uh, I must admit I was disappointed by it. Oh, no, of course you were. <laughs> and, 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 and let me tell you, the parts of the film I liked were the racing sequences. They were really well handled and well directed by Michael Mann. Where the film loses it for me is the over-the-top melodrama that goes on behind the scenes um, between uh, Adam Driver, whose uh, accent is somewhat spurious, um, and uh, Penelope Cruz, who overacts to the extreme. No, she, she's, a, she's a, a woman who's been scorned. Um, you can be scorned and not have to eat the scenery at the same time. Look, it's, it's one of those films where uh, I think it's a hybrid, which doesn't quite... Oh, Sorry about that, yeah, kind of joke. Uh, which, which, which I, I don't think particularly well serves the the storyline. Um, it, uh, it should have been a much stronger film, a much more, um, I suppose, dramatic film in some respects. But also, it, it sort of dismisses the whole uh, idea of how important this race was and the uh, outcomes of that race, etc. It's um, I don't know. It 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 was a disappointment for me because it just it just didn't quite hit the mark for me at all. Oh, I'm, I'm disappointed to hear that. Uh, Greg, did you think more of it? Did, did it rev your your engines? Uh, only the car racing sequences. I'm like Peter. They they came alive for me. I thought the rest was a bit. Um, dreary and conventional. Um, the oh. ratio of the relationship between Enzo and the Penelope Cruz character, and I thought Shailene Woodley was largely wasted with a thankless role there. Um, yeah, Michael Mann is much better as a director of action and that kind of thing. Um, so, but I thought he was a reasonable fit for the um, tempestuous relationship between the, um, Enzo and his wife there. But I thought it, the muscular direction of the car racing sequences. Um, was where he came into his own there. I thought the tone overall was a bit ponderous, um, a, a little bit there, um, which is surprising given the energy with which he directed films like Heat there. Um, I thought it lacked drama for much of the running time, um, but those um, car racing sequences had tension, and I thought um, cinematographer Eric Messersmith um, has done a good job with uh, on bringing him to life as well. Is it uh, made a pilot? Sorry? Sorry, it's a joke. Gee. Driver often has a strong physical presence on screen. Um, Cast a little bit against type here, I thought, as the solid Enzo Ferrari there. And through makeup, his age a bit bit, to downplay his usual strong screen persona. Um, I agree that, um, but on Cruise, actually, I quite liked her performance here. Volatile, ferocious, emotionally raw, and passionate. I thought she was good there. And I thought the production design was really quite good too to capture the era, and especially noticeable was the use of those 50, 50s Ferrari race cars, which further enhanced the, mater- the authenticity of the material. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Give me one of those, please. That'd be fine too. I, I'd handle that, okay? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's a good th- So, Greg, um, score out of 10. No, actually, well, I think, again, Peter will blow this as he's done. Through. He's been really consistently bad. So, go on. <laughs> Well, what is it? What is it, Peter? Ferrari M rated 146 minutes. I'm wondering with those Ferrari cars, where do you put the shopping? Anyway, um, so <laughs> you, 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 you tie it to the back of the car and you drag it along the ground. 
<laughs> just you're just egging me on. All right. Uh, uh, I think it's it's a fair film. It should have been much stronger. Six out of ten. All right. So Gregory, I gave it six out of ten as well. Oh no. <laughs> I'm giving it an eight. I enjoyed it. I did. I thought it was fun. I, okay. Well, oh, you, mentioned, you mentioned that uh, Michael Mann executive produced Ford and Ferrari. Yeah. I thought well, that was a much better film. So, yes. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I really liked Ford versus Ferrari. I yeah. agree. I thought that was it. But I no, I thought this was this this um, intrigued me. So, yeah, anyway. No, um, I, was bored for, I was bored for some of it. Were you? Yes. Wow. Okay, that's that's really saying something. Okay, The Boys in the Boat, George Clooney. Another sporting movie. Exactly. Peter, they, I mean, one after another, come on, you, you've turned, haven't you? You're just getting into my skull. I am. I am very good indeed. Thank you. So, okay, uh, what are we We're thinking? We're going to keep you afloat, are we? Ah, oh, it's it's a movie about sinking or swimming. Uh, so, do, what do we think of George Clooney as a director uh, overall? Again, yes, no. What, think he's a up, good, um, competent director. Yeah, yeah, you'd agree with that. Yeah, it depends on the script. Well, it, uh, yeah, but that it's about also the choice of script as a director. I presume he'd be approached quite frequently to do something. How many films has he actually directed? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up as we talk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't think it's all that many anyway. Um, PG rated 123 minutes, 14th of August 1936. Uh, you'd remember it very well, Peter. Uh, oh, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would have been disappointed if you weren't. Uh, and very good. Um, now, actually, we're, we're we're limited in time, guys. So I'll um. He's done twelve films as a director. Wow, much more than than I would have thought. Okay, so on the fourteenth of August, nineteen thirty-six, and we'll move this along. The US eight's rowing crew did something very special at the Berlin Olympics, and this is their story, led by one of their number, Joe Rance, played by Callum Turner, a student of engineering who lived in a dilapidated car and could barely make ends meet. The eight, the rowing eight, uh, plus an alternate and a cox were drawn from working class stock during the Depression era. And they were handpicked by well-meaning and decent University of Washington coach Al Ulbrichsen, played by Joel Edgerson, who himself was a more than handy rower back in the day. Rance's mother died when he was young. His father left him to his own devices before he reached the age of 14. And although he was enrolled in university, he struggled to find the money to pay for his tuition. So he was at severe risk of being kicked out when a classmate presented him with a possible solution, join a rowing crew and receive a wage and board. So what Rance didn't realise was how stiff the competition was to be selected. He was up for the challenge. He became a member of the university's new junior crew, and that's when the heat started intensifying even further. He, he forged a close bond with a boat builder called George Pocock, played by Pete Peter McGuinness, Guinness rather, uh, so but he wasn't the only one under pressure. The the University of Washington hadn't beaten their arch rivals California State for a couple of decades, and so it was that the future of the coaches along with the crew was on the line. And what happened next was the stuff of dreams. And and the boys in the boat is this moving underdog story involving triumph against seemingly insurmountable odds. 
So even if you're totally unaware of what happened to this rowing crew back in the day, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. But I, I did find myself heavily invested in the journey. Screenplays by Mark L. Smith, who did The Revenant, from a book by Daniel James Brown. And as we've mentioned, George Clooney, direct. Look, he milks the emotion of the times to positive effect. I thought it was a very good film with one noteworthy exception. And I was not in any way sold on the casting or the representation of Hitler in Nazi Germany, which was really clunky and uh, I thought was was not well handled at all. Uh, overall, though, the visuals, other than that, of the boys bending their backs is magnificently captured, often in close-up by the cinematographer Martin Rue, who did The Midnight Sky, uh, the, the production design as well by Kalina Ivanov, which transports us back to the period, is really meritorious. The evocative score by Alexandra Desplat. Um, the performances were of the leads were very good. So it's a good film with that one reservation. Peter, what about you? And, and keep it brief, please. Okay, we know what the outcome of this film is, and the rowing sequences are well staged, but they go on far too long. The film becomes tone deaf when it reaches uh, Berlin and Nazi Germany, dismisses Jesse Owens with one line. Um, it, 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 a, a major disappointment for me. This could have been a much stronger socially, politically, um, uh, in terms of the time period that the film was set in and uh, the German politics of the time. Mm. Greg, again, keeping it very brief, your thoughts? I thought this was another crowd-pleasing underdog story there. Um Apart from the three or four of the characters there, you don't get any sense of who the characters are, though. It centers on that Joe Rance character, um, who was, who I thought he was quite strong there. I liked um, the Peter Guinness character as well as a, a functional boat builder. And I thought Joel Edgerton did a good job as well. I didn't particularly like the romantic subplot there. I thought that slowed it down a little bit there. And they've compressed three years' worth of um, training and all that into one year, which doesn't give it a sense of urgency but didn't quite work for me. Um, and obviously, 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 PBS documentary on the story as well, which um, I thought was much more interesting. All right, Peter, score out of 10? Five out of 10. For the boys in the boat, PG rated as a film, and it runs for 123 minutes. Greg? I'll give it six out of 10. And again, I'm highballing it. I'm still giving it a seven and a half out of 10. Boys, we are done for another week. We will do it all again in seven days' time. Thank you very much for your involvement. Peter, sports-loving Peter, uh, may you see many more sports movies. And Greg, may you lose your white and become red and black in 2024. You've been listening to First on Film and Entertainment. Be good to one another, be kind to one another, and we'll speak to you again in seven days. <laughs>